got some good news. We uh, contacted the sound people, and they're already in work in work ordering the stuff that we need, and we won't have to wait for that screen to come up and down. We're going to have large screens on each side that people will be able to see, and uh, we're excited about that. Also, we uh, met with uh, Larry Arnold, who's going to be working uh, on putting on our floor, putting down our floor at the Focus Center. Our committee met yesterday, and that's progressing well, so we should have reports back on that. First Corinthians chapter 12, just a moment, going to begin reading in verse 12. I read the story of, it's an amusing story of a father who was leading his son around the church facility where they attended and he was showing him all of the various features of the building and they came to a particular corridor and on the wall uh, was a plaque with a number of names on the plaque. And so the little boy pointed up to his father and he says, what are they? And the father said, they are the ones who died in the service. And the boy responded to his father, which one, which service, the 9.30 a.m. or the 11 a.m.? <laughs> But you know, among the images used to describe the church is the body of Christ, and the body of Christ is a living entity, not a deceased entity. And God has blessed us by allowing those of us who are in Christ to be a part of the body of Christ. And even as a physical body has various members carrying out the responsibility for the body as a whole, so it is with us in the church. And so I want to look today at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the Bible, it is not, or to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts for one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body we consider less honorable we clothe these with greater honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving great honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various gifts of tongues. 
kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in other tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. Let's pray. Fathers, we look at this subject of the body of Christ. We thank you for the fact that in your sovereignty that you chose to be worshipped and served in a corporate body that we know as the local church. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being involved in the local church and that we who are part of this church here are members of a greater whole. Father, Christ is the head of the church, and we acknowledge that today. And Lord, as we study your word today, there may be some today just trying to figure where in the body they may fit. Father, I pray you would bring understanding to that. Father, there may be some today struggling with unity in the body that need to issue forgiveness or need to honor uh, a fellow church member. Lord, we pray that. Lord, just speak in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've been with us, we're in the midst of a series of messages on life in the community. The Christian life is really a corporate life. The Christian life is not to be a life in isolation. Have you ever talked with someone and they say, well, I believe in the Lord, but I'm not really involved in a local church. For me, that immediately sends up a red flag because Christ died for the church, for this entity, and the local body is the instrument that God uses, the organism that God uses to reach this world. And so as we look today at the a church, we see that Paul describes it as a, an, a, a human body. And this human body is made up of various uh, members. It's understood that Jesus is the head of the body. You know, you and I are most centered in our lives and we're most effective in our Christian lives when we're actively engaged in the ministry of the local church, when we're a part of God's church. That is really a fact. And this week, Paul describes how God orders his church as it fulfills the twofold purpose to which we looked last week, to build others up and to lift Jesus up. In fact, that's why the church exists, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and to build up one another unto godliness, and specifically as we see today in service. I want to note a few points this morning as we go through these verses. And the first is this, God has ordered the church according to his will. The church is his mindset. He has developed, he has organized this entity that we call the local church. And he has put together the pieces in the church according to his will. You know, the world record for the fastest putting together of a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle is one hour, one minute, and 29 seconds. Now, those two ladies who did it, a lady named Joellen Bifus and Pam Kerstetter, they did it in Ohio in 1986 at a national uh, contest, jigsaw puzzle contest. They were really moving because I studied up on that, and it takes about seven hours on average for multiple people to complete a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle. As we think about the church today, the various members that come together, the intricate details of that, it's like a puzzle. And God is the one who has 
organized that puzzle, who has developed that puzzle. He's the one who puts the pieces where they're supposed to be. He's the one that cuts the pieces, for lack of a better uh, saying, to put them where they bring out the big picture. That's what verse 18 says. But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts of the body just as he wanted. It's understood that he organizes according to his will, but also according to giftedness. We're not talking about natural abilities here. We're talking about spiritual bestowals of the Holy Spirit upon individuals to serve in the local church. Paul lists the gifts and the ministries and the persons that hold such positions, beginning in verse 27 near the end of it. And he talks about in these various uh, uh, gifts, he, he mentions first apostles, and then he concludes by mentioning those who uh, speak in tongues or interpret tongues. But he says to, to desire the greater gifts in verse 31. And so the church was built on the apostles. And so as we're going to be looking, especially the next few weeks, at various spiritual gifts, it's very important for us to understand that there are gifts that existed then that don't exist today. For instance, the, the apostles, those who were gifted and called to be apostles. There are no apostles today. The, the apostles were those individuals who had direct contact with the Lord upon which the church was founded. And, and they were like the footers or the foundation. You don't relay those things. They are laid at the beginning. And so if, if you hear someone say, uh, oh, I'm an apostle, boy, the red flag should go up because the apostles are a distinct group. First apostles, there they came. And so as we get in further into these gifts, the important thing for us to know today is that God has arranged the members of the church the way he desires, and he has gifted individuals to serve. And so the concept is that of order. And one of the problems we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is disorder in the church at Corinth. God didn't intend that. He, he has a, a desire that we serve him as he is ordered. It's almost like he's the interior decorator of the church, that he places every part of the church where it's supposed to be so that the finished product is desirable to him. So he who has ordered creation also orders his church. But I want you to see a second thing. Every member and ministry is of great value to the church. I remember individuals who ministered to me in my home church growing up, the church where I was baptized, the church where uh, I was ordained to minister, the church where I broke a window, not a stained glass window, when I was a child during the summer. There were so many individuals who poured into me. Some of them have gone on to be with the Lord. I've mentioned them in past messages. Some of them are here today. They're, they're in this, they're still serving the Lord uh, today. Some of them were very outgoing people. You knew they were in the room. Others were very quiet in their service, but all were important to the Lord. Well, in our text, Paul lists three errors of thought that existed in Corinth, and he speaks to them directly. And I want to look at these three errors, and each of them 
has to do with the body of Christ and the importance and the placement of the parts of the body, the individuals in the church. The first erroneous thought or wrong thought is this, my ministry is unimportant. There were some people who thought, I'm not important here. In speaking and personifying the body, notice what he says in verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it's not for that reason any less a part of the body. And then in verse 17, he, he gives a logical argument. If the whole body were just one part, where would the body actually be? It, it, it would not exist. So the issue here, there were some individuals who coveted other body parts, uh, the ear wishing it were the eye, the hand wishing it were the foot. But what he is saying there is that every part is important. The reason uh, one part of the body was coveting another was they did not value their own position and thought another position was more vital. You know, God's ways are not our ways. And many times God works in ways that we can't explain. And God many times works through the small, not the spectacular things. Think about this. He rejected the physically impressive King Saul who stood a head taller and in place chose David who was not even recognized by his own father. Think of Gideon, the judge. Uh, God used him uh, to overcome 160,000 Midianites with only 300 men. And Gideon described himself as the least of the least. Compared to Samson, who was physically imposing and also a judge, we would say that Gideon was more successful than Samson. Think of the disciples. In Acts chapter 4, people looked at them and said, basically, they're unimpressive. They're not super educated. In fact, Paul himself had to combat the thought of others that he was unimpressive. We see that in the verses just preceding where we began this series of messages early in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The point is this. We're not the judge of our value. You may be looking at yourself and saying, I don't have much to offer. The Lord says you do have much to offer. And we are to serve where we're gifted. And when we're serving where we're gifted, the church is built up and the Lord is lifted up. And so there were some there who thought their ministry was unimportant. Another wrong thought was this. There were individuals in the church at Corinth who had this attitude. Your ministry is not important. Look at uh, verse 21. Uh, he says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. What was happening there using by personifying the, the parts of the body, he was speaking about the church and one church member saying, well, what you're doing is not that important. Your ministry is not important. The head can't say uh, to the hand, I don't need you or to the feet. Aesop tells the fable of the belly and the members of the body. The members of the body were actively working they began to look at the belly and they said, well, you're not doing anything. You're not moving. And so they began to boycott. They said, we're no longer going to feed you belly. And you know where that led. The belly began to starve. 
and then all of the parts of the body shriveled up. Every member of the body is important. Paul brings out that the weaker points are actually important. The, the parts that aren't seen, like the organs of our body, we may see our hands, we may not see our inner organs, but they're important. Those that are less honorable that we might try to cover with clothing in humility, they're to be respected. All parts of the body are, import, are important. We're not to devalue another person's ministry in the church. You know, one way to counteract that is to verbally affirm people who are carrying out their ministry rather than following the wrong example of the parts of the body in verse 21 where one part was saying you weren't important. As the church, we ought to verbally affirm those when we see them using God's gifts. We ought to encourage them, spur them on to continue to use them. But then there's a third wrong thought, and it's this. My ministry is overly important. This, the first one was my ministry is not important. Second, your ministry is not important. But the third goes the exact opposite. My ministry is overly important. In verse 25, Paul says there's to be no division in the body, but the members would have the same concern for each other. And, and so we see the enemy of such unity is self-importance. The idea is my ministry is more important. My ministry is more visible. My ministry is more weighted. God does not want that. A month or two ago, I read the autobiography of uh, John Wooden. Uh, an, another gentleman helped him write the book, and John Wooden died quite a few years ago. He was uh, the basketball coach for years at the University of California at Los Angeles. And uh, he grew up on a farm in Indiana and a very humble man, had a lot of success in his life. And so this book basically uh, shared his thoughts, the, the principles, the pyramid that he built his life and his life work on. But a as I was reading it, he talked about the importance of humility and not thinking of yourself too highly. And he quoted a poem written by a man named Ogden Nash, and it is one of the most interesting, I don't read poems often, but it's one of the most interesting and visibly poignant poems that I've ever heard. And so Ogden Nash wrote these words. He said, sometime when you're feeling important, sometime when your ego's in bloom, sometime when you take it for granted, you're the best qualified in the room. Sometime when you feel that your going would leave an unfillable hole, just follow this simple instruction and see how it humbles your soul. Take a bucket and fill it with water. Put your hand in up to the wrist. Pull it out and the hole that's remaining is the measure of how you'll be missed. You may splash all you please when you enter, you can stir up the water galore, but stop and you'll find in a minute that it looks just the same as before. The moral in this quaint example is to do just the best that you can. Be proud of yourself, but remember, there's no indispensable man. Every ministry is important, 
but not so important that it exceeds the Lord in his church. One wrong thought is that our ministry is overly important. Let's look finally, bringing this uh, home today, my personal responsibility in the local church. Well, first, we see in verse 14 and also in verse 25 and 26 that I'm to be a unifying agent. We're to be an agent to promote unity. That's important. Notice what it says in verse 14. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. This church is diverse, varied ages, varied uh, uh, gifts and abilities. But verse 25 says that there is to be no division in the body. That, that, that is a statement. And, and so that becomes, that statement becomes a responsibility to us that we're to work to promote unity in the body. In fact, verse 26 says that we're really to, to mourn and grieve with those who go through hardship and we're to rejoice with those who have successes. It's not to be the opposite. We're to feel what one another feels. If people cannot find support and encouragement and unity in the body of Christ, where would they find it? And so you and I need to be agents promoting the unity of the church, the local church. We don't need to be caught up in divisive matters. We don't need to provoke individuals. There are times when, yes, we need to stand on conviction, and that is our priority. But we're to do all that we are able to do to be a, a unifying agent in the church. The second is I'm to carry out my God-given ministry. You might say, I don't know where best I serve. How can I know? Two things. The first one can be a little scary. The second one's pretty sure proof. The first is, what do you enjoy doing? Now, I realize that shouldn't be the only test because you may enjoy singing and not be the best singer, you know. You may love children, but I love children, but I may not work well leading children. But that is part of it. What do I enjoy doing? What do I find fulfillment in doing? But I would say temper that and balance that with someone else's perspective, someone else in the local church. You might say, where do you see that I might be gifted? Where do you see that uh, as you look objectively at my life where God might be using me? And so within what might be my desires, without looking uh, uh, for uh, mature godly people to to share input about where they see that we might be used. But you see, we're talking about members of the body, but the members can have a varied uh, opportunity to serve. Think of the hand. A hand can hail a taxi. A hand can snap its fingers to get attention. A hand can give applause when someone does well. A hand can grasp a hammer. And so one member can have a lot of responsibilities and a lot of abilities. And so uh, God may have gifted you in a number of areas to serve in his local church. But I do want to draw to your attention the fact of these gifts in verses 27 through 31 before we leave. And I think it's important for us to know, and, and this is important doctrinally, that some of these gifts that are listed are inceptive gifts. That is, 
They were used in the early church, but not today. For instance, as I said, if someone says, I'm an apostle, I'm not telling you go up and talk sense into them. I'm just telling you that's not biblically. There are no current day apostles. If somebody says you're an apostle, either they're mixed up or they're, or you, they're leading down the wrong road. Because the apostles clearly were called of Lord. Even Paul himself had a direct encounter with the Lord. And the apostles, it was upon the apostles that the church was founded. Again, I emphasize, you don't relay a foundation. Even the gift of prophecy, I'm going to share with you, as I define prophecy, is revelation. I don't believe there's no new, I don't believe there's new revelation today. We have the word of God as the full revelation of God. And and so if someone says they're a prophet, the first thing I want to know is what do you mean by that? And they may call themselves a prophet, but I would say they're actually a preacher. They're taking the word and expounding on it. You can see where people calling themselves apostles and prophets can mislead people because they can become an authority apart from the written word of God. I also want to look, it it mentions of those who work uh, miracles, it talks about, and and the healing. Miracles and healings still happen today. They probably should happen much more. But I do not believe that people have the gift of healing and the gift of miracles today. And let me share why. Because very early in the church, to authenticate the gospel, we saw the apostles in many, they were performing miraculous signs, and it was validating the gospel message. Guess what we have to validate the gospel message? The word of God, the the canon, the full word of God. In fact, many times people can get, get caught up on the miraculous or the signs, but the signs themselves were to point to the greater truth of Christ. Remember when Jesus said, don't be amazed if you do the demons obey you and all this, be, be amazed that your name is written in the book of life. Be, be, be thankful that you're saved. And so as we look at it, I'm not saying again that miracles don't work uh, or, or aren't coming, but, but let me ask you this, how many people in the church today do you see that say they have the gift of miracles, even in churches unlike our persuasion not very many not very many in fact if you were to say it looking at it pragmatically you would say well there's so few that is everyone disobedient or might it be that this was an acceptive gift that was used significantly in a time of the church to bring about the lifting up of the gospel one final thing that I want is we look at that and again don't get me wrong miracles happen God still works miracles. But in James chapter 5, it said, if anyone is among you sick, what does it say? Call upon the elders, and that one will be healed. It didn't say call upon, go find the one with the gifts of healing, and that one will be healed. What did he say? Call the elders. Now, that's two things. That's saying there that, that, that miracles happen, but we see the agent through which God worked was not someone specially gifted with miracles, but the leadership of the church. And I believe the church should lay hands, should pray and anoint with oil. I believe that. We've done that and we've prayed. But God is the one who brings the healing. 
tongues, people with the ability to translate foreign languages, individuals who are bilingual. But really, as we look at those, you don't have the gift of the apostle. I don't. You're not a prophet, not in the way I define it. And I believe scripture defines it as new revelation, nor do I. I have inspiration from the word of God. God can use us as agents for healing, but I'm not convinced that that gift is prevalent today. In James 5, he didn't call upon those specially gifted, but the leadership. But what does apply to us? Three things. We see the gift of teaching here. Teaching is taking the truths of God, the word of God, and clearly communicating it so that other people will be built up in the Lord, so that their walk might be stronger in the Lord. Uh, There's some that are gifted to be pastor teachers, but this gift, too, is the gift of teaching, and many of you have that, and you're utilizing that gift. And God is, you, you feel the excitement of God working through you teaching his word. The other is helps that's listed in this various group. We, we see that helping before administrating there. That's the gift of meeting practical needs. Many times this is a quiet gift. The individual who can serve quietly that allow things to happen, ministries to happen in the church. Individuals who have a heart maybe of mercy for people and love meeting needs. They work and work in the church not drawing attention to themselves, the gift of helps. And then administration, that of leadership. Some of you have that, and that leadership puts you in a position where maybe you can lead on a committee, maybe you can lead in a various aspect. It doesn't mean that you're more important, as we've seen, that we've, we've dispelled that myth as we've looked at the parts of the body, but it means that your gifts allow you to be able to lead people and administrate, and so that opportunity is immune to serve. Find your passion, your gift, and serve. Then there's a, a third thing that we're to do in the church. We're to demonstrate love in the church. Verse 31 brings a close, chapter 12. But desire the greater gifts. But then he says, come back next week, and I will show you an even better one because he moves on from there to chapter 13 where it talks about love. Everything that we do is to be motivated by love for God and love for others. Life in community, that's what we're talking about today. I can't even begin to express to you what a blessing the local church has been to me. I don't know where I would be without the ministry of the local church. At every season of my life, It has been integral. The lessons I learned as a child, I I was giving our kids a test in VBS, and they passed the test, Jesus loves me, this I know. I wanted to be sure with all these new songs, they hadn't forgotten it, and they know it. I love the lessons I learned as a child. I love the growth that I had as a youth catapulting me and knowing who the Lord is. I love the fellowship that I have today and have had with members. I think of individuals like Wayne Lewis who have gone on to be with the Lord, Tommy Woody, and many others who were dear to my heart that I fellowshiped with, and I wouldn't trade those times for anything. I look forward every Sunday to seeing people. I love 
the ministers of the local church. I don't need to sell you anything. God tells us the importance of the local church. What a place that we can invest our gifts and our life. There's no better place than the local church. Let's kneel. Father, as we look to your word today, we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who has so ordered the church, putting every piece together just as you desire. But, Lord, for the local church to be everything that you have called it to be, every member must find his or her gift and must use it, Lord, that, Father, the kingdom would be impacted more greatly, that lives would be saved, that individuals would grow, and that you, Lord Jesus, would be lifted up. Father, speak in this hour, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing.